Hello and welcome to Episode 7 of Battlefield Next. My name is Major Jason Coffey. Before we get started with this episode, let's do some housekeeping. First, the views expressed in the podcast are the views of the participants and do not necessarily represent those of the Judge Advocate General's Legal Center and School, the U.S. Army, the Department of Defense, or any other agency of the U.S. government. Today's episode is an interview of Mr. Fred Bork, Professor of Legal History and Leadership at the Judge Advocate General's Legal Center and School, and the Regimental Historian and Archivist for the U.S. Army Judge Advocate General's Corps. On today's episode, Mr. Bork and Major Wellemeyer discuss the Ansel Crowder controversy of 1917 and 1920 and its relation to the modern military justice system. We join the episode already in progress. You wanted to talk about the Ansel Crowder, the controversy. So I've read both of the articles that you put out. Very interesting to see how a lot of the stuff that we have in our modern military justice system was kind of a, it seems like it might've been a brainchild of uh, Ansel's during those two years that he was in there. Is that kind of fair to say? Yes, I think so. And, and okay. so for the listeners of the podcast, I would open up by saying that today, if you practice at courts martial, if you're a trial counsel or a defense counsel, it's really not much different than it is practicing in a U.S. district court. Okay. You pretty much use the same rules of evidence. Obviously, people aren't wearing a uniform in a district court, but the practice is, is pretty much the same because courts martial now are very much like courts. And so the point of this podcast would be that it wasn't always that way. And in fact, in the World War I era, courts martial were not like courts at all. So the bottom line is that it's in the World War I era and the upheavals uh, caused by that conflict that started propelling courts martial on uh, a path towards what I like to call judicialization, and that courts martial should be more like courts. And this dispute between Brigadier General uh, Sam uh, Ansel and Major General Enoch Crowder are really all about the future of courts martial and whether or not they should be more like courts. And so what that really means for us as lawyers is should there be more due process? So let's, uh, let's actually start there. So what was, you know, I saw a, a note in your article that said that in 1917, the amount of JAG officers, the amount of judge advocates was under 50. And then by 1918, it was in the hundreds. Could you maybe lay the scene for what the Army's law practice was like in 1917 and as we led up to World War I? Yes. So, um, there are only 17 judge advocates in the JAG department in April 1917. And April 1917 being important because that's the month that Congress declared war on the central powers and that brings us into World War I. So only 17 judge advocates, but by November 1918, the end of the war, a year and a half later, there are over 425 judge advocates in the department. Uh, A huge increase, obviously. And most of these uh, lawyers were very prominent in the civilian world, and many of them were law professors from uh, big-time Northeastern law schools like um, Harvard and Yale and Cornell. And so part of the explanation for what happens 
in the dispute between Ansel and Crowder is because of the influx of a lot of these law professors. And if you go back into this era, this is the beginning of legal realism, if you call it. And that is that the reality is that law is what judges say it is. And so there's not only this realism in the law, but this is also really the height of the progressive movement, uh, the idea that government and society to try to try to make things better to have some progress sort of a liberalism uh, that's coming up against the traditional conservative imperialism and laissez-faire capitalism and so these are sort of the tensions in the background of society and they spill over into the jag department i think because there are a lot of civilian lawyers coming into the department with these civilian ideas. So you have to remember that at the beginning of World War I, the regular army is 125,000 active. And then you have about 67,000 National Guard troops who are down on the border with Mexico because we have Pancho Villa and the Mexican Revolution. So here you have the Articles of War, which set up courts martial. And yet by November 1918, you have nearly 4 million Americans in the army and 200,000 officers. So the Articles of War just really weren't designed to maintain good order and discipline in that larger force with that sort of a composition. I mean, most of these people are draftees. I'd have to go back and look, but I, I think that by the end of the war, maybe 80% of the army is conscripted, draftees, citizen soldiers. And those who have experience with the Articles of War see that they can be arbitrary and capricious. And there's certainly not much in the way of uniformity because every commander, certainly at the battalion or brigade level, if you want to call it that, gets to run his own courts martial. Would you say, would you say that there was, would you say that there was, um, so all that, as you said, is swirling in the background. I noticed that Major General Crowder was the judge advocate general from, I think, 1910, 1911 to 1923. So a very lengthy period of time. But what caused him to transfer that, that position or, or, or to step away from that position to allow for Lieutenant Colonel Ansel to, to come onto the scene? So um, Crowder is the Judge Advocate General, and he becomes the Judge Advocate General after uh, George Davis retires in 1911. But when World War I starts, because uh, the Army is so small, Congress decides to implement the first wartime draft since the Civil War. And this Selective Service Act needs somebody to run it. And the Secretary of War, today we would call him the Secretary of the Army, the Secretary of, the War, of War, Newton Baker, decides that Enoch Crowder, the TJAG, is just the guy to run the Selective Service Act. And why is that? Because Crowder was really a remarkable uh, officer and a remarkable lawyer. So the bottom line is that Crowder takes a leave of absence from his duties as Judge Advocate General to become the Provost Marshal General. And while he's gone, his friend and colleague, 
then Lieutenant Colonel uh, Samuel Ansel becomes the acting Judge Advocate General, and he's given the temporary rank of Brigadier General. So while Crowder is running selective service, which means I think uh, getting nearly 10 million American men to sign up for the draft and then inducting them, uh, while he's running uh, that as the Provost Marshal General, Ansel is the acting Judge Advocate General. Were there any particular events during this time period or in the time period that uh, now Brigadier General Ansel was the TJAG um, that occurred, which pushed Brigadier General Ansel's desire for change in military justice? Yes, there were. And one of them, the really important one, is the courts martial of 63 African-American soldiers from the 24th Infantry in the aftermath of the Houston riots. And so the facts of this are, are worth spending a little bit of time on. After World War I starts, the first division and the second division are created, established, put together in France. But all the other divisions are organized and trained and equipped in the US. And one division training camp is set up outside the city of Houston. At this time, this is 1917, Texas is very much a Jim Crow state. And when African-American soldiers from the all-black 24th Infantry Regiment are sent to Houston, there's immediately some tension, some conflict between the white townspeople of Houston and these African-American soldiers. As you might imagine, the soldiers are used to being treated with dignity and respect. They wear the uniform of the army, but almost immediately they face Jim Crow uh, and mistreatment by the white policemen in Houston, which was pretty typical for the time. And the, the white uh, inhabitants of Houston, I think, are most concerned that African-Americans living in the, south, in the town may see these black uh, soldiers and get ideas, if you want to call it that, about how things ought to change. In any case, there's some run-ins with the police, and one evening, the rumor comes back to the camp that a white police officer has killed an African-American soldier. It wasn't true, but the soldiers thought it was, and as a result, they take their weapons out of the arms room, and they march into the town of Houston, and in the ensuing riot, I think 15 uh, Houston citizens are killed, a couple of soldiers, but this Houston riots causes a tremendous uproar, and the result is that 63 alleged rioters are tried at a general court-martial in San Antonio, Texas, later in 1917. Now, the problem was, at least from today, is there's very little due process. You've got 63 defendants, 63 accused, represented by one defense counsel, who's not even a lawyer. So I think we can all see today that you can't possibly defend 63 men who've got differing degrees of guilt or culpability, if at all. But at the time, this was permitted. And and I, the defense counsel, who's not a lawyer, but it had some, I think, legal education, does a pretty good job. He does get, I think, five acquittals. But 
61, I believe, are convicted and 13 are sentenced to be hanged. Now, at the time, any death sentence had to be uh, approved or confirmed by the president. In this case, it would have been President Woodrow Wilson. But because the United States was at war after April 1917, a clause in the Articles of War permitted a subordinate commander to confirm the death sentences. And so that's exactly what happened. The cases never went up to President Wilson for him or the staff in uh, the War Department to look at, but the men were hanged almost immediately after trial without getting any chance to request clemency or some sort of mitigation in their sentence. And Ansel is really outraged by this. He just can't believe the lack of due process. Some people have, have asked me whether or not I thought that Ansel was upset because these were African-American soldiers. I don't think so. I, I don't think that he was animated or upset by anything other than the fact that there was just no due process. And what really upset Ansel was there was no appellate structure. There was no appeal from a court-martial. And so this is the major event that really begins to make Sam Ansel think we need to reform the Articles of War because they're just not fair. There's not enough due process. Were these ideas that Sam Ansel held strongly before he took the position of TJAG, or were they more informed by, as you put it earlier, his being surrounded by a lot of the uh, academics and law professors who are now serving in the JAG Corps, and simply by the you know, extreme events that he had just witnessed with this, uh, the Houston riots? Yeah, I think it's the latter. I think that, you know, Sam Ansel's a 1899 graduate of West Point. He'd served in the infantry. He'd served out in the Philippines. He's, I think, a 1905 graduate of the University of North Carolina Law School. I think he's pretty content with the Articles of War as they existed. And again, as I said earlier, the Articles of War they worked fine in an army of 125,000 soldiers, all of whom are volunteers. But it's this explosion of this drafty, conscripted army, lots more courts martial, that I think awaken uh, Sam Ansel to the fact that we need to reform him. And, and he, at first, he wants some sort of appellate structure, but I think he becomes increasingly convinced that we need to have even more reforms. And this brings him into great conflict with traditionalists who are happy with the way things are. What were some of the reforms that Sam Ansell sought from what he witnessed in the, uh, as a result of the riots? Well, the, as I said, the first thing that he wants is some sort of review process, at least of serious courts martial. So you wouldn't have a, any sort of appellate structure for a special court or a summary court. But for general courts martial, uh, Ansel wanted a board of review. In this case, three officers, judge advocates, who would review the records of trial to see if there were any legal or evidentiary deficiencies that might need revision or correction. 
that's one thing he wants. But by the uh, the end of the reform process, he wants a three-member civilian appellate court, a court of military appeals that would really oversee the entire process. That's the big thing that he ends up wanting, uh, which he doesn't get. He also wants enlisted men. Remember, there are no women. It's enlisted. So no women in the army in this era. He wants enlisted men to be able to serve on courts martial panels. Prior to this time, it's officers only. And the other big thing that Ansel wants is he doesn't like the judgeless court martial that's being run by line officers. And he wants some sort of a judge or a quasi-judicial official, uh, which he calls the court, I think it's the court judicial officer, court judge advocate is what he called it. And it would be sort of a quasi-judicial official who would rule on evidentiary matters like hearsay, relevancy, best evidence, Today we have that, we have a military judge. The idea of a civilian court, well, we have that today with CAF, the Court of Appeals for the Armed Forces. And those were some of the things that he wanted. I think many of our listeners would agree that a lot of the things that he wanted seem almost, I mean, for lack of a better term, they're common sense and they're a major part of what we have in our system and our due process today. What was the process or what did uh, Sam Ansell do to see about getting these reforms into place? Well, before I answer that, let me go back and and give you what the traditional view is, because I think that'll be helpful. So if you're a traditionalist like Enoch Crowder, your view is, look, you trust me as a commander to take 15 or 20,000 soldiers into battle, risk their lives, perhaps get them killed in pursuing a military operation. So why don't you trust me to be fair in running the court-martial process? Ansel's answer and those who support Ansel say, well, yes, but things have changed and it's now no longer appropriate to see courts martial just as tools of discipline. We've got to have justice in there as well. And even today, this is the the balancing act or the tension in our system, which is, are we courts of discipline or are we here to do justice? Well, I think today we like to say we can do both. But back in World War I, a traditionalist like Crowder would say, well, once you start trying to inject this due process stuff into the system, you're going to weaken the power of the commander. Uh, So what Ansel does initially is he works inside the War Department with Secretary of War Baker to try to make some of these changes. But he runs into a lot of opposition. And then rightly or wrongly, Ansel goes outside the system. He goes public. He resigns his commission from the army and he goes to the Senate and he enlists the help of a prominent senator from Oregon. And he begins to make these public pronouncements about how the articles of war are un-American and they're wrong and we've got to reform these things. Well, that just engenders even more 
ill feeling and even more opposition. And I think we all know today, a lot of times you can get more done working inside the institution than you necessarily can going outside and, as we like to say, airing our dirty laundry. So there was a lot of resentment towards Samuel Ansell because he went public with a lot of his criticisms. Um, earlier, you mentioned that Sam Ansell and uh, Major General Crowder were friends. I'm assuming that they knew each other, given how small the JAG Corps was at the time. Did their friendship last through this, you know, this incident? And did do you believe that Major General Crowder knew that Sam Ansell was going to be this active when he was appointed to be the acting judge advocate during the uh, time of war? The friendship did not survive. And Crowder believed that some of Ansel's complaints were really just grandstanding to maybe try to get the job as TJAG, hoping that, that Crowder would retire and he would be the judge advocate general. There are a number of historians who think that, that Ansel was motivated to some degree by personal desire to get promoted or whatever. And certainly Ansel resented the fact that he, uh, when he resigned, lost his temporary star and reverted to his permanent rank of Lieutenant Colonel. I don't know how much of that is, is true, but Crowder certainly believed that some of this was driven by Ansel's ambition but the friendship didn't survive and Crowder and the War Department were able to defeat a lot of Ansel's reforms in Congress, 1919, although some of the reforms did survive into the uh, Articles of War as they were uh, revised in 1920. But, uh, you know, the friendship didn't survive, Ansel left. One of the ironies is that a law professor by the name of Edmund uh, Morgan, who worked with Ansel and supported him in World War I, went back to uh, Harvard Law School. And ultimately, Morgan is invited to draft the legislation that would emerge as the Uniform Code of Military Justice in 1950-51. So the irony is that a lot of Ansel's ideas were resurrected for example, this idea of having a civilian court that would oversee the whole system, resurrected by his disciple, by his friend uh, Morgan, 30 years later. Is there, is there anything else that the, the listeners need to know about this situation? We're, we're pretty close to our stopping point. And also, could you direct them to maybe some, some resources if they want to learn a little bit more, go a little bit more in depth into this particular controversy? Well, I think, again, if you're looking at the big picture, this struggle here in World War I is the beginning of this idea that courts martial should be more like courts. And so I call this judicialization. And what you see then in 1950 as courts martial become really more judicial with the enactment of the UCMJ, then what you begin to see is a second theme here, and that is that courts martial should be more like civilian courts. So first we start out with judicialization, and then in the UCMJ, we try to make courts martial more like civilian courts. 
And that's because of Article 36 in the UCMJ that says to the greatest extent practicable, courts martial should be like federal district courts. So that would be sort of my sum up here. Yes, the article that you want to look at, if you want to read more about this, is there's a wonderful article by Major Terry Brown, and that is called the Crowder-Ansel Dispute. And it's in uh, volume 35 of the Military Law Review, uh, January 1967. I think it starts on page one. It's very, very good and explains a lot about the Ansel-Crowder dispute. Terry Brown is very sympathetic to Ansel, but that's okay. And it's actually quite good. In 1967, when Brown wrote the article, I'm not sure that people understood exactly what Ansel had been doing. And so this is an article that's certainly worth reading and easy to get on. It's on the Library of Congress website, and we can also you can also get it obviously on our own JAG Corps websites. Okay, thanks, uh, Mr. Bork. I think we're we're at a good stopping point there. Um, like last time, before we go, are there any uh, any books that you're reading that you might want to recommend for the audience? I know that was a uh, favorite of our listeners the last time, so we're hoping for for some more uh, information from you. Well, I do have some ideas, and we all have more time to read these days because we're at home uh, enjoying our teleworking. For those of us who like to do that. So I got a couple of ideas for you. The first one is a wonderful, wonderful memoir of an American soldier. It's one of the best books I've ever read. And it's by a uh, West Point graduate, class of 1926, Russell P. Reeder, R-E-E-D-E-R. And the name of the book is Born at Reveille. Born at Reveille. And the story here is that uh, Reader, who was the son of an army officer, was born at Reveille in 1902 out at Fort Leavenworth, Kansas, where his father was an officer. And uh, Reader was a phenomenal athlete. Uh, he went to uh, West Point, graduated in, uh, in 1926. And one of the things that's unusual about Reader is that it took him six years to get through the academy. So for those of our listeners who are academy grads, you know that sometimes you can stay an extra year and be a five-year man, but there's not much to be said for six-year men. And years ago, when I met Colonel Reeder, I asked him how it was that he was able to be at the academy for six years. And he looked at me and he said, Fred, I think they liked me. But this is an era when Omar Bradley is his, is his tack. And he knows Eisenhower, and he knows Marshall. It's a very, very small organization. The great thing about Reeder is that uh, he's an infantryman, and he's a commander, a 42-year-old colonel commanding the 12th Infantry Regiment, lands at D-Day, I think D-plus-6 maybe. And he's badly wounded when he's hit by shrapnel from a German 88-millimeter uh, shell, and it takes his leg off. Reader is uh, lying there on the ground, bleeding out, bleeding to death. And a jeep comes by, driven by an American with some soldiers on the jeep. And the driver gets out to take one of the soldiers off the jeep. And 
put Reader on, and Reader says, I was feeling very heroic. I said, no, come back for me later, to which the driver says, but sir, this man's a German, to which Reader says, lay the son of a bitch in the shade. And then Reader gets on the Jeep and is off. Reader was subsequently awarded the Distinguished Service Cross. Anyway, it's, it's a fabulous book, well worth reading. You can easily uh, get it. And after Reader uh, left the Army, uh, he ended up writing 35 books. But I think his Born at Reveille memoirs of an American soldier are really good because it's all about the Army before the war and in World War II. A couple of other books that I highly recommend. There's a wonderful new dystopian fiction called The Last Day, The Last Day by Hunter Andrew Murray. And the premise is that a black hole or some sort of a star has passed nearby the Earth and as a result of this disruption by a cosmic entity, the Earth stops turning on its axis. And if you remember in the Bible, there is this episode where the Earth stands still. Well, this book is, this cosmic event has caused the Earth to stop turning on its axis. And consequently, if when the Earth stops, you've got sunlight, well, you're in a lot better shape than the people who are in perpetual darkness. It's a wonderful book set in the near future. Two other things. These are young adult fantasy, but they're really, really good. Danielle Page, P-A-I-G-E, has written a wonderful series of books that are takeoffs on The Wizard of Oz. And the first book is called Dorothy Must Die. And in this case, Dorothy has come back to Oz, but now she's become a dictator. And so the people of Oz have to work to overthrow the dictator. And it's really a takeoff. The second book is called The Wicked Will Rise. And the third book is called The Yellow Brick War. I mean, these are really, really fast reads. They're quite entertaining, quite funny. And then my last one is another adult fiction, I mean, young adult fiction by Marissa Meyer, M-E-Y-E-R. And the first book is called Cinder. And it's all about Cinderella. Only in this case, Cinderella is a cyborg in the near future. And it's sort of a mashup of fairy tales and science fiction. Cinderella, the Terminator, Star Wars, all mashed together. It's another great read, a quick read. So that's it. Those are my, uh, my suggestions for reading. All good. Well, thanks, Mr. Bork, again, for your time. We, we really appreciate it. And uh, we hope to have you on the uh, Battlefield Next podcast again in the future. Thank you again. You're welcome. That's it for the episode. For more information related to FCD, you can follow us on Twitter at JAGFCD or by visiting our webpage. Finally, if you like what you hear, please leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. While this is a podcast created by U.S. Army Judge Advocates from the Future Concepts Directorate, our goal is to reach other judge advocates and lawyers across the DOD, law students, and members of academia. Your reviews help make this possible.